order for you to appreciate what we're gonna talk about. So I've gotta do my best to not make it so boring you can't stand church. And that's a, that's a big deal right there, I'm gonna be real honest with you. Now, let me see, how about the teenagers in the back? All the teenagers that can help me in my sermon, come on up here. Come on, I need all the teenagers. I don't care, if you're between 13 and 19, I need your help, come on up here. Come on, come on. I ain't got all night waiting on you. Get your buns up here. All right, come on. I got some more. I need all of them. Okay, stand right over, stand right over here. Stand right over here. All right, come on. Man, it's gotta be one slow poke, naturally. Come on, Jacob, get your sorry rear up here, son. Stand over that way, stand over that way. Stand right over there. All right, you be first since you wouldn't come down. All right. Now, when you, study, when you study Jewish history, for example, the book of Genesis has four major characters. Did you all know that? What's your name? Abraham. All right. All right. You should have got my dad for no, that. No, 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 no. Abraham. Get my Just, dad for that. He's here. I, if I need help with my sermon, I'll let you know, okay? <laughs> Otherwise, shut up. What's your name besides Malthy? Abraham. Abraham. All right, this is Isaac. Raise your hand. Say Isaac. Isaac. Come on, louder than that. Oh, I'm Isaac. All right. <laughs> who is this one right here? Jacob. Raise your hand. Tell them who you are. I'm Jacob. All right. And you're Joseph. Actually, my name is Joseph. There you go. How'd that work out? <laughs> Must be the will of God. We do this story. All right. Tell me your name. Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. Joseph. All right. Now, that's his name. He can't forget that, I hope. All right. Now, that's the book of Genesis right here, right here. 50 chapters, four characters. You got it? All right, now you, you guys move over here. Let's bring the next one up here. You stand right here. Your name's gonna be Moses. And what you need to say is, let my people go. You ready? Yeah. What's your name? Moses. I'm waiting. Now, if I was Pharaoh, I'd let him go. How about you? <laughs> I'd say, what, have you lost your stinking mind? Who are you? You got to have a little more oomph. Okay, yeah. what's your name again? Moses. Okay. Let, oh, okay. <laughs> say it louder. What's your name? Moses. Okay, what's the next line? Let my people go. All right, now you're looking at the book of Exodus. Are you listening to me? The book of Exodus. And if you're really a smart Bible student, you're going to find out that Moses wrote some other books. What are they? Exodus, he wrote Genesis, you're right. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All those books are by Moses. Genesis, all those five books. But you're introduced to him in Exodus, right? And that's the guy that leads them out of bondage. The Jews had gone down there. They ended up, these four guys led them down into bondage because Joseph, remember that? All right, so they get down there, and for 420 years, they're in bondage, slavery. What's your name again? Moses. Come on, let's hear it. Moses. A little more um. Moses. What's there the next part? Let my people go. And God does. <laughs> we got to work with this one. All right. Okay, you're next. What's your name going to be? How about say Joshua? Joshua. All right. This is the book of Joshua right here. The book of Joshua is about one person, Joshua. And Joshua follows Moses. He says, Moses, my servant is just. Joshua, arise, take this people across the Jordan. And they go in and they conquer the land. Now you're up through the book of Joshua, right? 
All right, all of you come back down here and come back over this way, all right? You're going to be next. Line up again. Line up again. No, not you. You're next. All right, keep on going down. Move on down. Move on down. Move on down. Come on, you can't bunch up here on top of me. All right, now, the first person in the book of Judges. Do you remember who the first judge was? All right, let's, let's, uh, let's think about that. He wasn't the first one. He was the what? The last one. Not the first one. Okay, he was the first prophet, the, the last judge. Who was the first judge? Say what? Othniel. How do you like that? Boy, isn't that tough? Now, you're going to have, depending on how you count it, you're going to have judges. Let's pretend that she's the book of judges. There's either... 10, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Depends on which book you read and how many they're counting, okay? And you're going to get a variety. But Israel is ruled. It started with Abraham, went to Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. They went down into Egypt. Moses takes them out. Then Joshua leads them. That's about, we're probably up about five, 600 years now. And then they're under the judges. Now, the last judge and the first prophet was none other than Samuel. Okay, and you're going to have First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Are you with me? All right. So, what's your name? Say Judges. Judges. Come on, say it with a little umph. Judges. All right, there you go. Go back over there. All right, now you're in the end of the line. Come on over here. Now we're up to the next person. All right, we get through the judges, and we're going to have a king who was taller, head and shoulders. What do you go back over there for? Are you afraid I'm going to bite you? Come over here. <laughs> Would that be such a terrible fear? Yeah. <laughs> All right. His name is Samuel, head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He's the first king of Israel. He reigns 40 years. Saul, I'm sorry. Saul. All right. Now, what's your name? Saul. How many years do you reign? 40. Are you a good king? No. No. He has 40 years, 38 are bad, two are good. You with me? All right, now the next one, come on over here. You're next. Move over this way. Your name is what? Isaac. Now we're going to change it. We're moving on in the story. All right. Okay. They need me to teach them Old Testament, Old Testament again, right? Now, her name now is Saul and then David. David, right? Now, how long does David rule? 40 years. How many are good years? Mm, he starts off about age 30. He ends up at age 70. He makes his huge mistake with Bathsheba about age 50. His life looks like a rooftop. He does really good. Now, let me help you something. He was a horrible sinner and a tremendous repenter. And he repented and God forgave him for all of the things that he did. But under David, Saul takes the kingdom from up to about 6,000 square miles. David takes the kingdom up to 60,000 square miles. Isn't that amazing? David does it with a sword. David's a warrior. And David comes in there and rips him up. Now, David has a couple of, you're next. Now, you got to talk up, okay? Okay. David has a son. He has several sons. In fact, he has probably around 26 or 28 sons. <laughs> he has a bunch of sons. But the son that becomes the most important, it's Saul, it's David, and then it's Solomon. He rules 40 years. He kind of rules like 
she, I know it's not a he, but you get where I'm coming. <laughs> 40 years, and then Solomon comes on the deal. Now, Solomon reigns for about 40 years, and Solomon rules with diplomacy. He doesn't do it with a sword. He marries wives and makes alliances with, with different uh, countries. He do, he's just a super smart guy. Now, anybody that's got... 300 wives and 700 concubines. I'm not going to debate how smart he was because <laughs> I don't know anybody that's smart that's got 300 mother-in-laws. But anyway, that's another <laughs> subject, right? All right, so you got Solomon. 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. Now, this is called, come on over here, Saul. Stand right here. This is called the United Kingdom. It lasts 120 years. These are the glory days of Israel, all right? They go from nothing to a world powerhouse under three kings. Three kings. Now, when the, thanks guys, you did a good job. Give them a big hand. You can go sit down, or you can stand up here and watch up here if you like. It won't bother me, I promise. All right, now, when you begin to, begin to study the story, that's where we're about ready to pick it up. I think sometimes we read the Bible, we just buzz through it. We don't have any idea what's going on. And there's a major problem that you're going to have from now on in your Bible reading when you get to this point in the scriptures. You got to pay huge attention to where it says, this guy is the king of Israel. This guy is the king of Judah. Because you got two competing nations that are Jewish. One's the northern tribes, the ten tribes up in the north are called Israel Ephraim, okay? And if you look at your paper tonight, on the back of your paper, it's got a chart, and that chart's basically going to tell you a little bit about those guys, and the bottom line is, to be quite honest with you, all of the kings in the north are horrible, horrible. They don't walk after David, they don't walk in the ways of David, they just go and go nuts, and they cause all kinds of problems. But when you read your Bible, you got to be paying attention because you might be reading about something. You'd be so confused in this section when you read down through here because the bottom line is you'll be reading along and you'll think, well, where'd this guy come from? Well, that's the, other, that's the other nation. That's the other group. Now, the northern ten tribes, they go from the time of David, Saul, Solomon. They last for about a 150 years, 200 years, something like that, and they end up being attacked by the Assyrians. The Assyrians come in, wipe them out, pretty much decimate them, and they make a mongrel race. They're no longer Jewish. Now they're called Samaritans. They're called Samaritans. The two southern tribes make it probably another 125, 140 years, something like that. And they last until about 586 B.C. And Babylon comes down, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar takes them over. And so when you study the, the southern tribes, they had 19 kings. Eight of them were good. They did pretty well. That's why they lasted longer they followed after the Lord. Now, how many want to how many want to guess what was the major factor that divided the kingdom? Say it louder. Taxes. taxes. That's it right there. Saul put taxes on them, David put more taxes on them, and Solomon taxed the snot out of them. 
And when it came time for the next king to come along, Solomon grabs his, uh, the next king grabs his counselors. You're going to have Jeroboam and Rehoboam and the Boam brothers. But anyways, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to find out that they basically have a big powwow and they say, we're going to tax them even more. And about that time, the 10 northern tribes say, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. And they take off because they're, just, they're tired of taxes. All right, now, we're about ready to get started here. You're about ready to do it? All right, so take your Bibles out. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. Let's look at where we're going to go. I'm going to try to get you up to Elijah tonight and explain to you who Elijah was. 1 Kings chapter number oh, 16 and 17. You ready? All right, we're going to read these verses and I'll come back to them, all right? The Bible says, if you look at verse number 29, it says, And in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri. You see that? To reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 20 and 2 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So you take all the bad kings that the north had, this is the worst. His name is Ahab, okay? And it came to pass as if it were been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him, and reared up altars of Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. He made groves... And he did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And in the days of Heliel, the Bethelite, he built Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof of Abram, his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof and the youngest son, uh, Segub. And according to the word of the Lord, he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, chapter 17, verse 1. You ready? And Elijah, the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not do or reign these years, but according to my word. Now, we got to start off by talking to you about you, the times, the times of Elijah. Fellas, show me my slide, if you would, that one with the gold store. I told you a couple weeks ago about a gold store. That's what a gold store looks like. If you ever go to Bangkok, that's one of the first things I ever saw that I just kind of, whoa, what's that? You'd be driving in a taxi somewhere and the sun will shine a certain way and it'll <coughs> reflect off that gold and it'll just about blind you. And I said, what is that? And they said, it's a gold store. I said, man, we need to go in there and look at that. I've just never been in a gold store like that. And what you do is when you go in there, they have all these chains and rings and whatever. And the reason they do that if you care or not, I hope you care. The reason they do that is because in, the, in, in Bangkok, you have business owners and you have poor folks. You have middle classes, real small, rich people. It's a kind of a large group and there's a lot of poor people. Well, the poor people don't trust the banks and so they buy gold. Now, when you go to the gold store, you can buy a chain and if you're doing really well, maybe you buy a chain that's this big. You put it around your neck and you got your security because you got your money right around your neck. If things get tough, you need some money, you go down there and you sell part of your chain. 
and you get some bot. And then you can go out and pay your bills or do whatever you got to do. But they work through the gold, okay? So you get a guy that looks like Mr. T, he's doing pretty good. <laughs> now, you remember Mr. T, right? Okay. Now, when you look at that, that's a kind of an amazing thing. Did you see that gold is, the back of that gold is velvet? You see that red there? You know why they do that? Makes that gold pop. Sometimes it'll be black. Sometimes, most of the time, it's red. And you walk by there, and they lay it on there, and boy, it looks beautiful with that backdrop of that velvet. Now, be honest with you, Elijah, you can't really appreciate Elijah unless you understand the times in which he lived. What makes Elijah stand out is the fact that, man, you can't believe how bad times were. Now, what I'd like to do for a few moments when we look at this passage, I want to go back and I want to explain to you how this passage works. Take your Bibles and go back to chapter 13, 1 Kings 13. You remember just a moment ago, we read that word Jeroboam. Let me show you that real quick. Look at Jeroboam chapter, uh, 1 Kings 13, verse 33. Look back. We're going to look at some of these kings, some of these bad, awful kings. Jeroboam 13, 33. The Bible says... And he offered upon the altar which he made in Bethel the 15th day of the eighth month, even in the month which he devised of his own heart and obtained a feast on the children of Israel and he offered on the altar and he burned incense. All right, look up here. I'm going to read the verse and now I'm going to try to explain it to you. When you study the scriptures, the northern ten, I'm in 1 Kings 13, 33. Yeah, I'm in 1 Kings, oh, I probably read unto you verse, uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 33. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there, we'll get there. This will work. Stay with me, stay with me. Now, uh, <coughs> even if I get the address wrong, stay with me, I'm still telling the truth, all right? Uh, Jeroboam was a kind of a charismatic dude, all right? And he, he has a lot of influence in those northern tribes, and one of the things that they griped about is Israel, Jerusalem was in the south, it was in Judah. And they griped about the fact that most everything, Jerusalem was in Judah, are you with me? All the big temple was there, the big palace of the king was there, and he was taxing all of Israel. It seemed like most of the money was showing up down in the south. And so these guys in the north basically were griping, almost sounds like America back about what was it, 1777 or whatever the date was, they were griping, we don't get fair representation and, and it doesn't work that well. And they, they kind of had a revolt. So basically they get together and they say, what kind of king are you going to be? And he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tax you just as bad as my dad did, if not worse, and I'm going to just lay it to you. And they said, we're out of here. So Jeroboam jumps up and he says, I'll be the king. Here's what he does. He goes up north, and the Jews had three festivals that every person had to go to. We're fixing to have one of them here just real quick. It's called Passover. Are you with me? And every Jew had to go down to the temple and had to worship down there. And so he comes up with an ingenious plan. I'm going to separate the two countries, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up two places where we can worship and we don't have to go down there for a feast. 
What he was afraid of is they went down there and we kept going to the temple. He'd never have their loyalties. So he says, we're going to do away with going south. We're going to keep you up here. And he has two places, the area of Dan. Fellas, you got a picture of that place up in Dan, I hope, a slide. This is a slide from the Holy Land. This is up in the Dan. Dan is all the way in the north. And this is a place in the north and a place in Bethel. You want to know where Bethel's at? That's in that Palestinian Authority area. It's just north of Jerusalem, up about, oh, 30, 40 miles. It's the place where... God met Abraham, you remember that? And it's a place where Isaac saw angels going up and down ladders and all that. How many remember that in the Bible? All right, so he sets up two places and he said, if you want to worship, you can worship in these spots. Now, this doesn't show everything, but it basically shows you the foundations of what Jeroboam built up in the area called Dan, which is in the extreme north up by a place called Lebanon, all right? He sets up two golden calves. And he says, you need to come worship these calves. Does that ring a bell with anybody? I hope. Hey, how many of you remember a guy named Moses? And he had a brother named Aaron. And Moses is up on top of the mountain. And he comes down. And the children of Israel have lost their mind. They're dancing naked in the buff there. And they're doing all kinds of despicable things. And they're worshiping a golden calf. And he says, Aaron, where'd that calf come from? He said, it sprung up out of the pot. Zappo, it was there. Liar. And they reverted back centuries to the book of Exodus. And they started worshiping again the golden calves. Are you listening? And Jeroboam set that up. And listen to me. From that time on, God's big measure or God's standard was if you walk in the sins of Jeroboam, he's the guy that brought idolatry back into Israel. He's the guy, instead of worshiping Jehovah, he's worshiping golden calves. So everybody in the north is judged by, if they walk in the sins of Jeroboam, their father, they're idolaters. He sets up groves. What are groves? High places. Groves were sometimes trees where they'd go up on top of a hill. And they, they, when you study this whole thing, by the time you get to Ahab, Ahab's going to introduce Baal worship. I'm getting ahead of myself. But from, the, from Jeroboam back, Israel, the ten tribes in the north, go after wrong gods. Scripture in the King James says they went a whoring after strange gods. You listening to me? Well, if you keep reading, look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 15. I'm going to do this quick. Look at verse number 26. 1526, it says, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. We're talking about Nadab. And he walked in the ways of his father and in his sin, wherein he made Israel to sin. By the way, that's a, that's a catchphrase. He sinned and made Israel to sin. What was it? Idolatry. What was it? Worshiping, worshiping golden calves instead of Jehovah. And look what the Bible says. The scripture says, And Basha, the son of Ahijah, the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Basha smote him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, for Nadab and all of Israel laid seas unto Gibbethon. So you go from Jeroboam to Nadab to Basha. Basha. Now look at 15... 
33, it says, In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, began Basa the son of Ahijah to reign, and he reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of Jeroboam. All right, class, let me ask you, what's the ways of Jeroboam? Idolatry. Idolatry, worshiping golden calves instead of Jehovah. If you go a step further, look over to 1612. We're introduced to a king named Eliah. He is in a drunken stupor and he gets assassinated. The Bible says, Thus did Zimri destroy the house of Basha according to the word of the Lord, which he spake against Basha by Jehu the prophet, for all the sins of Basha and the sins of Elihu his son, which he sinned, but he made Israel to sin in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Then you're going to be introduced to a guy named Zimri. Look at 1615. 1615, in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, did Zimri reign seven days in Tirzah. And the people were encamped in Gibbetha. And, and it says he belongs to the Philistines. And the people were encamped and heard say Zimri had conspired. And he slew the king. And whereof the Israel made Omri the captain of the host. Man, it's just one assassination, one bad king after another king. There's no stability in the kingdom. It's just who can assassinate the next dude? And there are idol worshipers. And it's one king after another king until, look at chapter 16. We looked at it a moment ago. Look at what it says in chapter 16. It says, let me see. Uh, I got to get the right spot here. Remember, let's go to 29. You got it? Let me introduce you to Ahab. Ahab becomes the worst of the worst. I know that's not good English, but how many understood what I just said? He's not the best of the best. He's the worst of the worst. And you think Jeroboam was bad and we could go down through this whole list of guys you got on your list right there? Ahab comes and blows their doors off. He's a real turkey. Why was he so bad? Notice what the Bible says. He's the son of Ahab. Omri, he reigns over Israel. He reigns over Israel in Samaria 22 years. So he reigns longer than most of the kings in the north, and he's an evil king. And he has a new capital. It's not Jerusalem, it's Samaria. Now, if you went to Samaria today, you could go to the very same place that Ahab reigned from. It's up on top of a hill. And they're digging down, and they, that's where Solomon had stables at one time, where he had all those fancy Arabian horses that he had. But that becomes the capital of the southern or the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes. And no longer is it Jerusalem, it's called Samaria. Now, let me show you what the real kicker is. The Bible says, Ahab does evil. In the sight of the Lord, above all that were before him, it came to pass, it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. In other words, Jeroboam was bad, but that's nothing in comparison to this guy named Ahab. And what becomes the major issue? He marries a woman, a Zidonian woman. Now, if you were to look up the Zidonians in your map, you would go north, and then you'd have to make... Uh, exit and go over towards the Mediterranean and you're going to go up to Tyre and Sidon. Sidon. Sometimes it's called with a Z instead of an S. Okay? And that's an area and the Bible lists who her dad was. Just notice what the Bible says. Uh, 
He has, he marries wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal. Now notice that word. Look at it in your Bible. What's the last four letters of her daddy's name? Baal. Baal. Now look up here. I'm going to get gross for a moment. Put your seatbelt on. Baal worshiping is probably one of the most despicable things you could ever read about in the Old Testament. Baal was a fertility god. A fertility god. They also worshiped him, being a fertility god, as the god who came in the rain. He's the guy that brought rain. By the way, it becomes interesting that Elijah said, it ain't going to rain till I say so. And they would build groves because they would get up on top of hills. They believed that Baal was manifested in storms when lightning and thunder came. And so they'd get up on top of hills. I wonder how many people got struck. What a bunch of dummies. But anyways, they get up there on top of the lightning because they said you could see Baal when the lightning would flash. When you study the scripture... Many times in the Old Testament, you'll see Baal and Ashtaroth. Baal was a female god, a fertile god, a god who brought the rain, quote unquote. Farmers were really into Baal because if Baal smiled on them, they got rain when they needed it for their crops. And it was a female god. And there was another god they worshiped named Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth looked like a big pole. I'm not going to try to get real gross here, but I think you could figure out who the male was. And if you can't, talk to me afterwards and I'll explain it to you. So you got a male and a female God. Now, if you went to the temple, and by the way, if you keep reading the story, the Bible says that Jezebel was an evangelist for Baal worshiping. You say, why do you say that? Because out of her own purse, she begins to pay the bills for 450 prophets of Baal. She brought them down from Zidon and brought them into Israel so that they could drive out Jehovah and they would worship after Baal. And the scripture says they built a temple to Baal. You say, pastor, who paid for that? Ahab and Jezebel. God says, boy, Jeroboam was bad. Jeroboam brought in golden calves. By the way, they're called bulls. They interwine those golden calves into Baal worshiping. You go back and study it. I don't have time to tell you all this stuff, and I'm really not here to tell you all that tonight. But it's very interesting when you begin to do the work in the back of the scene of what's going on here. And so they kind of bring in these two golden calves, and, and they bring in the concept of a bull. And, and when they went to their temple to worship after these gods, they had priests and priestesses. And depending on what persuasion you were, your offering was paid to a prostitute, one of the priests or priestesses. And the way you worship Baal was to have sex with one of their priests or priestesses. I cannot begin to tell you, and we got a mixed audience, so I need to be kind of careful here. Uh, they believed in bestiality. I won't go any further with that. 
It was about as wicked and ungodly and reprobate as you could possibly imagine. All thanks to a woman whose name was Jezebel. She's married to Ahab. He's a weenie on his best day. Jezebel was the one that moved the neck of the king whatever way she wanted it to move. Now, when you study this out and you begin to look at this passage, the Bible shows you how bad it was in Israel. Those 10 northern tribes were about as wicked as they'd ever been. They've left from worshiping golden bulls to worshiping after Baal, a fertility god, an Ashtaroth. Now, that's the backdrop of Elijah. The Bible says, if you look at chapter 17, verse 1, and Elijah the Tishbite, Elijah. Oh, let's look at his name. Now, I want you to write in your Bible. Do you believe in writing in your Bible? Yeah. If you don't, go get you one from some motel room. No. <laughs> I'm not telling. Don't steal it out of a motel room. But the bottom line is, go down to the used bookstore and buy one for 50 cents. Get one you can write in. Now, if you look at Elijah, Elijah, if you look at his name, E-L, you got that? El, El Shaddai. El means powerful. Elohim, most popular name for God in the Old Testament. G-O-D, God, Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The E-L means that God is a powerful God. Guess where the first part of Elijah's name comes from? Elohim. And then the Bible has it separated by a letter in there. It says L-E-L, notice I, and then Jah, J-A-H. Guess what name that comes from? Jehovah. So his name is made up of the two most popular names for God in the Old Testament, Elohim and Jehovah. How many want to bet where he's going to stand? Come on, you getting the picture here? Uh, his name means uh, my God lives. Isn't that amazing? So you, you're introduced to Elijah. What a contrast. You got these Baal worshipers, these, these people that have groves up on tops of hills. They go to, to, a, to a temple that is as wicked and ungodly as it possibly could be. San Francisco, New Orleans, Bangkok, all rolled into one spot. And up stands Elijah. My God's the God. I stand for Jehovah. I stand for Elohim. You get what's going on here? And then the Bible calls them the Tishbite. Now, I'll give you $5 if you can find that. If you read 14 books, you're going to get 14 different locations. So I don't know where Tish, that's the, time, that's the town that he's from. He's from a place called Tish. But it gives you some help here because if you keep reading the verse, look what it says. Elijah the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of what? Gilead. Now Gilead you can find. Look up here for a second. I want you to look at your faces. I, I, I think you got beautiful hair, but I want to look at your eyes, all right? Uh, 
The Gilead was on the Transjordan side. You remember when the, when the tribes went in to occupy the land, there were two and a half tribes that stayed on the other side of the Jordan? How many remember that? Now, Gilead was on the other side. There was a couple of tribes that basically said, we want to stay on this side because there's, there's good, uh, good grass, there's good grazing for cattle, and this is the area we want to stay. Elijah was from that area which we would call today Jordan. It was from that area where on that other side, it's the kind of place where John the Baptist hung out. How many ever heard John the Baptist in the New Testament? All right, so when you study this out, you got his name is phenomenal, Elohim and Jehovah all thrown into the same one. He's from Gilead, the other side of the Jordan, over there in those two and a half tribes. Are you with me? And then the Bible is going to tell you a little bit about him. Uh, look over to 1 Kings. Look over to 1 Kings. Let's see if I can find that real quick. Look at 1 Kings chapter 1. Let's see if that's right or not. I hope it is. I hope it is. I hope it is. Oh, I'm looking for, oh, stink. Let me just tell you the story. Look up here, look up here. I'll just tell it to you. you uh, Ahab gets a messenger back. And this messenger comes back and this messenger begins to describe this dude that he meets. And he says, you know, it sounds a lot like Elijah. Describe him to me. And he said, well, he was a hairy man. He was a hairy man. Now, you know that's the only description of Elijah, his appearance in all of the Bible. Either that dude was a mountain man, wildebeest looking kind of a dude with all kinds of hair on him. Or maybe he was like John the Baptist who wore leather skin clothes with a big leather girdle around his waist. It sounds like that's the way they kind of dressed over in that rough wasteland where he's from. Now, I kind of think of him as being this guy who's kind of thin, wiry. He's got this big, huge beard, long, straggly hair. How many barbershops do you think was in Gilead? I don't think there's any of them. And so he's out there and his beard's just growing, his hair is getting long. He's a mountain man. Jeremiah Johnson. <laughs> you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Jeremiah Johnson. This is God's mountain man. Now, let me show you his secret. Go back to uh, chapter 17, verse number one. Let me show you what his secret in life was. Now, look at this just for a second. The Bible says, and I want to read the verse to you. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth. By the way, he says a mouthful in that first, that first stanza right there. He says, I serve the living God. I don't serve Baal. I don't worship poles. I serve the living God. Man, can't you just, doesn't that do something to you inside when you stop and think of, man, he gets right in that king's face and he says, bottom line is, you don't serve him, I serve the living God. Amen. By the way, what God do you serve? You want to know where real conviction comes from? You want to know where that stability in your faith, come, in your faith comes from? It's when you know whom you are and whose God you serve. 
What about old Paul when he was on that boat? He said, whose I am and whom I serve. It's exact. Paul knew that. He said, I stand before you with the living God. And let's keep reading. He says, there shall be, notice, the, the God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. There shall not be dew or rain these years, but according to my word. Now, can you imagine the audacity of somebody saying, it ain't going to rain anymore. Your God's out of business. I don't care if he is the God of the rain, the God of the dew. It's stopped until I say so. Whoa. <laughs> By the way, you can find out whether or not his God was living, whether or not it rained or if there was dew the next day. Right? Man, this guy, well, he's got some hair on his chest and all over his body. He's a hairy man. Yeah. Now, the secret, man, he knew who he served. He knew <laughs> what was going on. And by the way, he said, I stand before that guy, and I'm in contact with him. And God has, and me, got this deal worked out. It ain't raining no more. Well, it's five minutes till. It's about time for me to quit. So let me get down to the end of my deal here. I've, I've told you his name. I've told you his appearance, right? Let me give you a couple of lessons. Let me give you a couple of lessons. All right. You ready to write some lessons down? Are they already on your paper? All right. Let's write them down. You ready? First one, God looks for special people for difficult times. God looks for special people for difficult times. Can I, can I make an observation for you? Now, hear me out on this. If you look at the southern two tribes, they had 17 kings, eight were good. You say, Pastor, how do we know they were good? Because the Bible says they walked in the ways of David. Right. He was a good king. Amen. There was not one king in the north that did anything other than walk in the ways of Jeroboam. And from now on, it's going to change it up a little bit. And it's going to say, they were turkeys. They walked in the way of Ahab. <laughs> going to get a new gold standard for being wicked. Now, you say, what did God do to compensate those 10 northern tribes? Well, guess who had Elijah? Guess who had Elisha? Guess who had Obadiah? I could keep going. If you look at your list, I think your list on the back where it tells you, it tells you some of who their prophets were. The big name prophets, the prophets that you've heard of, the prophets that you think, man, wow, unbelievable. They were in the north. God compensates, compensates for rotten kings by giving them fantastic prophets. Can I help you with something? God looks for special people at difficult times. That's the way God's always done it. Sometimes God will raise up a woman named Esther for such a time as this. You with me? That's the way God operates. God's looking for somebody that's got a backbone. God's looking for somebody that will stand up. Are you listening to me? And say, no, that's not right. That's wrong. If it God's people don't get excited about the Democrats saying, bottom line is, we're going to start killing them after they're born. We've lost our minds. Amen. You listening to me? 
You say, Pastor, you're getting political. No, that's biblical. Killing babies is infanticide. I don't care what party you're with. Anybody with any kind of Bible knowledge knows it's Adam and Eve. God doesn't believe in same-sex marriage. Come on, are you listening for me? Wouldn't it be great if we had somebody that had a backbone to stand up and say, hey, right is right, wrong is wrong. You say, Pastor, how do we get in the spot that we are in? Because too many Christians have been sitting down way too long. Amen, Pastor. We're glad we came tonight. You can say what you want to say, but that's the truth. By the way, as long as I'm ticking you off, I can't imagine voting for a politician that believes gay marriage is right. I can't imagine voting for a politician that says it's okay to kill babies. You say, Pastor, you're just a wild-eyed fanatic. Just call me a mountain man. I'm going to let my beard grow. I'm going to be a hairy man. I'm growing it in my ears. Might as well just go for it. <laughs> hey, are you listening to me? Wouldn't it be great if we had some Christians said, that's enough. Uh-huh. That's all. We ain't going no farther. This is as far as we're going to go. Let me give you a second one. You ready? God's methods are often surprising. God's methods are often surprising. You know, isn't it amazing that God doesn't raise up an army to kill Ahab and Jezebel? He does it with one guy. With one guy. When we study this book and you start finding out about Elijah, oh, Ahab says, you're the one that troubles Israel. He says, no, big boy, not me. It's you. It's you. God's methods are often surprising. By the way, if you're a wife or a homemaker that don't feel like you have much to contribute, <laughs> let me help you with something. God's methods are often surprising. Don't discount what God can do through you. Let me give you a third one. God wants us to stand before him first and foremost. God wants us to stand before him first and foremost. When you're standing alone in the gap, ultimately we're standing before God. And when the call comes, I wonder if God will find us ready. When the call comes, I wonder if God will find us willing to stand for him. By the way, if your Christianity hasn't put that kind of steel in your spine that quality of morrow in your bones, there's something terribly wrong. Either the message you're hearing or your, the problem is the message you're hearing or it's your heart. God's looking for men and women whose heart are completely his. I'm going to read you a verse. I want you to get this verse down. I want you to read. How about 2 Chronicles 16.9? Write that down somewhere. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. You know, God's still looking for Elijah's. 
That's what he's looking for. Philippians 2.15 says that you might be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation. Does that sound like America? Among whom you're to shine as lights in the world. Man, we need to stand up for what's right, folks, yes or no? Amen. You say, Pastor, what's happened in America? We've lost our Elijahs. We need somebody that'll say, hey, this is right. This is wrong. We've lost that, haven't we? We've become tolerant, politically correct, and our backbone is gone. Amen, Pastor. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the Word of God. Man, Elijah, what a guy he was. Incredible. And as we read through his life and we begin to put the pieces of the puzzle together, God, help us to recognize you are still looking for those kind of people. God, help us to be what we ought to be. Lord, may we have the fire of God in our hearts, the word of God in our life, and Lord, may we be willing to stand for you in a very dark time. Lord, we're in a crooked and perverse nation. God, speak to us tonight. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.